You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Blood destruction, sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of uh, 3CR in Melbourne, that's the Community Radio Federation. Welcome to all our listeners in all the states and territories of this country. Uh, Some are in lockdown, some aren't. Those of you who are in lockdown, like I am, well, all the best to you and obviously all the best to everybody else. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers, not without rules. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power and the struggle to hold wealth in common. Simple concepts Nothing radical, nothing revolutionary, very simple concepts. You break down inequalities in power and wealth. You create the social, cultural, economic structures which form the basis of an anarchist society. Now, I've been sick over the last few days, you know, nothing major, but, you know, pus pouring down my throat and all that garbage. But I thought to myself... What makes Australia great? What makes this country great? Question mark. Not make Australia great again. We've never been great. But what are the things in this society which are worth fighting for? And what are the things... And our forebearers, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents fought for, which we have forgotten the amount of struggle involved to get these things which makes Australia great. Is it the fact that we jailed people for up to eight years, or over eight years, for the audacity of applying for asylum status? Is that what makes us great or is that makes us infamous? Is it the fact that we, almost over 220 years since colonisation began in 1788, find ourselves in a situation where most Australians, not all Australians, most Australians still do not understand that this land was stolen in a brutal colonisation process 
is it the fact that by giving away our so-called our natural resources to a few corporations and individuals that we have created billionaires? Does that make us great? Is it the fact that most Australians who have died in war since the Boer War have died fighting other people's wars overseas, as we've seen recently in Afghanistan, the price of that? Is it the fact that over the last 40 years the ratio has changed regarding the return to workers in comparison to investors? For every dollar an investor invests, which makes a profit, one-third of that profit goes to the worker, two-thirds goes to the investor. Forty years ago, before the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, deregulation revolution, it was the other way around. Two-thirds went to the worker, one-third went to the investor. Is it the fact that we've seen the economy hijacked by the gig economy, economic forces which are forcing people to live 19th century lifestyles based on 19th century conditions as if the whole trade union movement was irrelevant? Is it the fact that the Liberal Party and the alternative Liberal Party masquerading of the Labor Party have recently passed legislation which couldn't be described as electoral infanticide when small political parties or groups attempting to register as federal political parties have now been legislated out of existence. So what makes us great? Is it the fact that we have some of the most largest mining corporations in the world in this country or some of the largest agricultural corporations in the world in the country? Does that make us great? And being sick clarifies issues for you. There are things which make us great. And they're there because of struggle. Nothing has been given to people. Let's not forget, less than 200 years ago, less than 200 years ago, four-year-olds were being employed in coal mines and as chimney sweeps and in agricultural farms. Let's not forget that it was only 150 years ago that the concept of a universal education system began to take hold in the West. Think about it. Let's not forget there was no universal social security system till after World War II. Let's not forget that Medicare, a universal health system which gives, which people have access to, sometimes poorly, but they have access to, let's not forget that Medicare came into existence as Medibank in 1973-74 as a result of a push to deprivatise health and allow everybody, irrespective of income, to have access to the healthcare system. Let's not forget the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, where the government subsidises medications for an increasingly 
ageing population with chronic disabilities. So think about it. What makes a community great? What makes a society great? What makes Australia great? It's none of the things that you think. It's not because somebody has won a gold medal at the Olympics or the Paralympics or somebody's won a football game and kicked a goal at the the end of the game. That doesn't make us great as a nation. What makes us great as a nation is our ability to look after the people on this continent. Whether they're First Nations people, people born in this country like myself, immigrants, asylum seekers, refugees, that's what makes us great. And what makes us even greater is the fact that we've had to struggle That's right, struggle to achieve these aims. And it's that struggle and people's participation in that struggle despite the overwhelming section of the legacy media and social media and those people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication fighting tooth and nail to ensure the massive profits they continue to reap, the massive profits they continue to make, continue to rest in their hands, in the hands of their shareholders. So it's that struggle that makes us great. And that struggle can take many forms. And what I find pathetic about many radical activists or many activists is they think there's only one form. One form. You can pursue struggle for egalitarian goals on many platforms, in many ways. If you've got a wall in front of you and you've got to get to the other side, you've got four options. You can stay behind the wall and say, tough cheddar, I can't get, can't, uh, get over it. You can walk along the wall and see where it ends and then cross over. You can dig under the wall, get to the other side, or you can climb over the wall. I mean, that's just a simple analogy. It's the same with change, whether it's reform, whether it's radical change, whether it's revolutionary change. There are many different ways of pursuing the struggle for change. Now, some people don't want to get involved in in an active way, but sometimes assist financially. Other times, a simple way of becoming involved in that struggle is community boycotts. Now, those who are regular listeners of the program know that, you know, myself, Joseph Toscana, I don't don't interact with the gig economy. I do my best not to interact with the gig economy. I'm not talking about using social media to get a point across, but in terms of making a buck for somebody. So when I see some so-called celebrity advertising Uber, which is part of the gig economy, which has destroyed all the gains that have been made 
for workers over decades of struggle, which now seems to have been incorporated in our economic framework, I don't just shrug my shoulders. I think to myself, well, if the Wiggles want to support Uber Eats, there's a price to pay. Let them know. These are employers which are totally unscrupulous, who not only exploit their workers, they also exploit the businesses they supposedly offer a service to. And you'll find many small businesses refuse to get on board because of the extraordinary amount of money these organisations receive as far as fees and the fact that most of that money does not trickle down to the people who are actually doing the work. So there's a community, so just a personal boycott, a personal boycott, but let somebody know about it. There's no point boycotting something if you don't let them know about it. So if you boycott a product, let them know about it and explain why. Now, you may think it's a waste of time, but if there are 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 complaints, it becomes a different matter. Then there are things which we don't see today because of the health regulations, things like protests. But you can do petitions. You can actually refuse to interact with organisations that exploit their workers so their CEOs or their owners can take a uh, space flight you know, into the stratosphere, you know, the, billion, the, the trillionaires of the world. Because nobody gets rich through hard work. The way people get rich is by exploiting other people's labour or by using this country's investment-friendly laws to invest in inverted commas in the virtual world as well as the real world. So obviously, in order for this country to be great, we need to extend those safety nets, whether it's workplace regulations, whether it's creating new public assets to provide essential services and infrastructure to people. This is the direction that we should move in. Because if we continue in the direction we have been going, and if you look at the COVID-19 response, it is not a response which has been directed at individuals, it's a response which has been directed at people with assets. It's not individuals who benefit, and especially individuals the lower end of the pay scale, those who are involved in the real economy, not pushing buttons or talking to a computer, who find that they have paid the greatest price in terms of job security, in terms of economic security. So think about it. What makes a nation great? What makes a nation great? What makes us as a people great? And in my opinion, it's the fact that there are people in this society, in Australian society, who are still willing to struggle to create a community whose needs are fulfilled 
but not fulfilled at the expense of anybody else. Currently, we have a community where a minority's needs are fulfilled and the rest of the population lives on debt. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, obviously, you've got listeners all over Australia and everybody's got their own issues, as we all know, but I think we are, we are still, despite the state borders, we are still part of a community or society. Now, I'd just like to make an appeal. Now, if you don't live in Melbourne, most likely you don't know about the West Parkland Rent Collective. Now, the West Parkland independence struggle is an interesting struggle. And I was just listening. Look, let's be honest. I don't read opinion pieces. I'm sick of opinion pieces. But I am, am interested in news. And I do flick on to the ABC News. Not for somebody's pathetic opinions. Well, you, you may think my opinions are pathetic. Fair enough. But because I want to find out what's going on. It was quite interesting. I was listening to a program yesterday, not a program, but a segment on ABC News, which was talking about the increased rates of COVID-19 on the Papua New Guinea-Indonesian border. Now, most people would let that fly past them and just shrug their shoulders. Oh, yeah, Papua New Guinea-Indonesian border, right? The ABC is not able to describe the other side of Papua New Guinea, West Papua, as West Papua. It's always the Indonesian border or the province of Indonesia. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself, one of the most oppressed groups of people on the planet are the original inhabitants of West Papua. And they live a whole 76 kilometres from the Australian coast. Big big place, 76 kilometres, 76 kilometres from the Australian coast. They have never been decolonised. They were colonised by the Dutch for about 400 years. Then the Indonesians took over 60 years ago. And they have continued to conduct an independent struggle despite the situation they find themselves in, despite what's called transmigration, where millions of Indonesians from other parts of Indonesia were given free land in West Papua in order to outnumber the original West Papua, despite the lack of health medical facilities, despite the ravages of COVID-19. So the West Papuan office in Melbourne at 838 Collins Street in Docklands plays a pivotal role in the West Papuan independent struggle, not just in Melbourne, not just in Australia, but around the world as a coordinating facility. And the office has now been in existence for almost seven years, just over seven years. And it's been in existence because of the West Papuan Rent Collective. The West Papuan Rent Collective doesn't consist of billionaires like, you know, uh, Twiggy, what's his name, and Gina, what's her name. I can't even bear mentioning their surnames. But 
because of ordinary people, or not ordinary, extraordinary people, let's, let's be honest, we are extraordinary, not ordinary, but extraordinary people like you and me who are willing to put, a few, put in a dollar a day towards paying the rent of the office. This frees up the West Papuans to conduct their independent struggle in the way they see fit. We are not there to tell them how to use their office. We are not there to tell them how to conduct their independent struggle. We are there to pay the rent. End of story. Now, we are short of rent collective members. A few members have died. Others have moved on to other activities. We have never been in a more difficult situation. The fact that the office has been closed during periods over the last 18 months because of COVID-19 lockdowns makes it exceptionally difficult for it to continue. But if we can get over the next few months to the end of the year when things will open up, that office will be indispensable to the West Papua independence struggle. And the way you can help is very simple. Is Think about joining the Rent Collective. It's a dollar a day. 31 or $30 a month, 365 or 366 a year. You can do it in a lump sum. You can do it week. You can do it monthly. You can do it weekly. And it's a very simple matter. You can do it online. You can do it in person through any branch of the Commonwealth Bank. We keep no records of members. And it's a voluntary thing. We don't knock on your door and say, oh, you haven't paid up. It's totally voluntary. And the fact that we've lasted for seven years, I think, has been an outstanding achievement. It'd be nice to get to the 10th anniversary. So how do you join the West Papua Rent Collective? It's very simple. We'll send you the details. You can do it by leaving a message, and which a few people have done over the last two or three weeks, on 0439395489. No point ringing and not leaving a message. 0439395489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, or you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Very simple. Or email me at info, I-N-F-O, at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Or leave a private message on one of my Facebook pages. Very simple. The ball's in your court. Now, this Sunday, there was going to be a book launch at the West Papuan office, which has been uh, turned into a Zoom event. That's right. It's uh, those of you who listen to Radical Australia here on Community Radio 3CR, and you can always access the interview because it's a podcast. I think two weeks ago I interviewed Dr. Greg Polgrain over an hour and uh, looked at his um, new book. Uh, we discussed the content. It's uh, JFK, John F. Kennedy versus Alan Dulles, D-U-L-L-E-S, The Indonesian Connection. And he makes the connection that the West Papuans find themselves in the situation they find themselves to a significant degree because of what happened during that period. So if you want to book and become part of the Zoom meeting, go to Try Booking, T-R-Y Booking, and just put J-F-K. Now, if that doesn't work, go 
go to the web page of the West Papua Independence Movement, D-F-A-I-T, West, West Papua Independence Movement.com. Or if you want the full details, and I'm going to read them out, it's trytrybooking.com forward slash events forward slash landing forward slash seven nine two three four nine or if you haven't you can always leave a message and I'll give you the details on the phone oh four three nine three nine five four eight nine sometimes you wonder what country you're living in Yesterday, all the discussion was about the Distinguished Persons Visa. Mm. I wonder how many Distinguished Persons listen to the Anarchist World this week. Well, I think uh, everybody listens to the Anarchist World this week is a very distinguished person, you know, a very distinguished person. But the federal government is a Distinguished Persons Visa. There was some kerfuffle about some distinguished people having trouble gaining Australian citizenship, so... The federal government always knows for uh, you know uh, good publicity is going to twig at the ed- edges of the legislation to ensure our nice distinguished persons from overseas who want to become Australian citizens will be able to be fast tracked. Because see, this is what thieves do. We've got this mentality in this country of thieving. Maybe it comes from the. Uh, as a consequence of the colonisation process. So I'll give you an example. And this is just a simple example. When I graduated, yes, a long time ago, from the University of Queensland in 1975 as a doctor, there were 187 doctors who had been trained for a population of around 2 million in Queensland, all right? 30 years, or was it 40 years later, for a, a population that had doubled to 4 million, there were only 100 doctors had been trained. Because, see, successive governments of all political hues have understood a very, very, very important thing. It is cheaper to import somebody into this country who is fully trained then train some youngster in this country to take on specific tasks. So when you go to a public hospital, you'll find that many of the doctors there have been got temporary registration because there aren't enough doctors who've been trained in this country. It's the same with nurses, physios, OTs, and the list goes on and on and on. And we especially love sportsmen and women who want to come here and, you know, distinguished persons play for this country. But that's a different matter. But what type of a country has a distinguished persons visa? Think about it. What type of a country? What type of a country poaches people from developing nations who've been trained by those developing nations at a great cost to that developing nation, poaches their brightest inverted commas, and best to work in this country by offering them a distinguished person's visa and fast-tracking them through the so-called immigration process. Think about it. 
Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You know the Channel 9 group is on hard times when they start adver- take advertising from Mr Clive Palmer. Now, the last federal election was won handsomely by Mr Clive Palmer. Mr Palmer, a billionaire despite not paying his workers, a billionaire, or some of his workers, let's clarify that. But Mr Palmer, a billionaire, a mining billionaire, a great supporter of the Liberal Party, launched his own little political group or political party in order to muddy the waters at the last federal election. You see, elections are not won in Australia in terms of a general election campaign. Elections are won in what are called marginal seats. These are seats that could go one way or another way. Now, Mr Palmer's boat was exceptionally small, almost as small as mine has been, which is something to say considering he had a lot more money than I've ever had. Um, But the preference flow went directly to the Liberal Party. And what was his reward? He was able to keep his mining licences and expand them. Now, Clive's added it again for exactly the same reason. The, United, the so-called United Australia Party, which most of its members left at one stage or another, is there for Clive. It's there for his business interest. It's there to protect him legally. It's there to protect his economic base and expand his economic base. Because if his mates in the Liberal National Party are rewarded by the Australian electorate for their incompetence as far as the response to COVID-19 has been concerned, he will make a packet. And the fact that you see all this advertising on billboards and in newspapers and on social media and you see all these has-beens put forward crap, you will understand, it's important to understand his strategy. It's not good enough to think he's just a buffoon. He is not a buffoon. He is a very smart, astute corporate leader. Smart and astute. A skin as thick as a rhinoceros, but most importantly of all, he has the money to peddle misinformation to the community to muddy the electoral waters enough for his preference flow to assist Liberal and National Party's members to be re-elected in marginal seats. He's not a man to be laughed at. He's not a man to fear. He's not a buffoon. He's a smart political operator because the marginal electoral strategies is interesting. Now, you may have heard, if you hadn't been living in a cave like Rick Van Winkle for the last 20 years, that the Liberal National Party loves pork barrelling 
marginal electorates just before elections. We've got the sports rorts, and then what have we got? We've got the car park rorts. You name it, there's a rort, okay? Oh, there's a marginal seat. Let's give them this. Let's promise that. Let's promise that. Because you can promise till the cows come home. You don't have to deliver as long as you promise it. Now, I used to think there could have been a modicum, a sliver of morality, ethics in the Liberal National Party. I used to be stupid. I used to think that. Their latest pork barrel is wonderful. Now, you all know that COVID-19, there's a problem with vaccinations. It's just not, not about vaccination hesitancy, but it's about access to vaccines. Access. So big note in itself, the Liberal Coalition has said they're going to get 30 Indigenous First Nations communities. They're going to prioritise them. And guess where these indigenous communities have been privatised? I mean, prioritised. Guess. Come on. Come on, you can guess, you smart people. If you weren't smart, you wouldn't be wasting your time listening to the Anarchist World this week. Yes, you guessed it. Marginal electorates in Queensland, which re-elected the Liberal National Party last year, and in West Australia. Ah, well. The trouble with people like you and me is we tend to look at things a little bit deeper than most people and uh, join the dots. You own a home? Oh, you must be excited. Prices have increased 19%. So if your home was worth, oh, let's say $800,000, it's now worth a million dollars since the COVID-19 pandemic began. But if if you're under 40 and you want to, Put your lad- foot on home ownership ladder. No luck. And people say, why are housing prices skyrocketing during a COVID-19 pandemic? Well, there are a number of very important reasons which highlight the inadequacy of the economic system that we current- currently labour under. The first one is housing has become an investment priority. It's not about having a roof over your head. It's about making a buck. And when you have legislation that's gone through Parliament, which gives people who own more than one home, one house, or unit or flat or whatever, an economic advantage in terms of negative gearing, you can understand why one in two homes which will be sold this week will be sold to investors. And those investors use their liquidity, fancy word for the amount of they own in their home, other homes, as a basis by which to borrow money at low interest rates. And this artificially elevates the prices of homes. Secondly, this is exceptionally important, we have seen a race to the bottom by state governments, led by the Victorian Labor government, to privatise public housing. As I keep saying, when there is no competition in a capitalist marketplace, prices go up. 
the only competition, real competition in the housing market is a strong, viable public housing sector, which is not just limited to people in dire circumstances, but which people who will never be able to scrape a deposit together have the ability to live in decent housing around the country through the public system. If you have a strong public housing sector, fewer people would need to rent because they could enter public housing. As more people entered public housing, what would happen is that the number of people needing private housing would decrease housing prices would drop, returns would decrease and the investors would be driven out of the marketplace. Today, what we see is a coalition of people who normally would have supported public housing now clamouring to get their hands on the deeds. Religious-based organisations, non-religious-based organisations, so-called social organisations with their hands out waiting for this, you know, to build empires. So if you want, if you're concerned about your children and your grandchildren having access to decent housing, and when you, you know, die and you're leaving your house and there's six kids and, you know, there's not even enough for a deposit, well, you think about it. Decent public housing. And how do you finance it? I keep saying this over and over and over and over again. You finance it by quarantine, quarantine stamp duty, on housing to build public housing. A win-win situation, but in 2021, I assume that's the year we're in, we're told, well, it's all about privatisation. All about privatisation. They're even talking about creating privately owned quarantine facilities. As long as the buck to be made... Why waste your time providing a service to the community? It's all about privatisation. Blackbirding, Mark II. Have you heard of the term blackbirding? No, most likely you haven't. A few have. Well, see, we had a problem in the colonies. When slavery was abolished in the British Empire, I think it was about 1838 or 1840, I can't remember the exact date, very difficult getting free labour, you know? That's the great thing about a slave is you buy the slave and then they produce children and it's like having cows, you know? They produce cows and children and whatever, you know, and you get rich and you get them to work for nothing, maybe for food and a bit of, a, bit of shelter. Well, we had a problem in this country. We had a big sugarcane industry, which was burgeoning in North Queensland and northern New South Wales, but the labour force was small. So what would happen is enterprising ships would go out to the Pacific, Vanuatu, Fiji to a lesser extent, Solomon Islands, drop off anchor, put up a few baubles on the decks, Kids would turn up, young people would turn up, curious. They'd be kidnapped, taken to Queensland, New South Wales, forced to work for peanuts for years and years and years, 
on the sugarcane plantations. But the great thing about Australians, this is what I love about us, we're such a magnanimous, caring, sympathetic people. Now, some of these people have been blackbirded to work on the country's sugarcane fields. It worked here for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. When the federal, the Commonwealth of Australia was formed on the 1st of January 1901, one of the first parts of legislative agenda they put into place was, you guessed it, the Canac Expulsion Bill. So here we had people who had been kidnapped, brought across to Australia on false contracts, held as hostages for decades, and then deported en masse. Over 25 to 30,000 people were deported back to societies they had no contact with. You didn't have mobile phones in those days. So why do I call a black birdie mark too? We've got the same bloody problem. And I've seen this problem historically over and over and over and over and over and over again. We'll hear about labour shortages. Well, most Australians don't want to work in the agricultural sector because of rotten conditions and exceptionally poor wages. It's that simple. So farms and many, many agribusinesses, let's call them farms, agribusinesses, corporate businesses in agriculture, keep clamouring for cheap labour. Now, when there was no COVID-19 restrictions, it was easy. One in seven workers in this country was on a temporary work visa from overseas. So it was easy to find workers to do dirty, horrible, hard, back-breaking work for minimal wages. And I know... Because before I became a doctor, I was a farmer. All right, I know how backbreaking it is. So, what's happened now? Well, we've brought across our friends from the Pacific Islands, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands again, to provide a cheap Papua New Guinea to provide a cheap labour force. And guess what? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in over 150 years. It's, I'd call it economic blackbirding. You're brought across to work picking asparagus, picking cherries, doing something on some corporate station somewhere, digging ditches, and you get paid $9 an hour when the expenses are taken out. And what are the expenses? Your airfare to Australia, all the permits you need to get to get in order to come to work to Australia. Uh, what else? You're quarantining. You've got to pay for your own quarantining. And the list goes on and on. Isn't it amazing? 150 years later, same shit. Economic blackbirding. The thing is, mechanisation has transformed agriculture. From a system where small farms dominated to a system where we've got large corporations dominating huge tracts of agriculture. 
And I think the rise of the uh, shooters and what is it, hunters and fishers party, whatever they call themselves, in rural Australia has been, I think, tied to the fact that many people in regional Australia are beginning to understand that those people who support agribusiness are not their friends and have never been their friends and they want other people to uh, represent them in Parliament. So it's quite quite an interesting thing. So nothing seems to change. And why doesn't it seem to change? Because there's no structural reform. Now, talking about structural reform, I love this. I should, I should make The Anarchist World this week into a comedy show, but... Uh, but all this stuff is real. I don't make it up. It is real, okay? Increase the GST. That's the latest hue and cry. Now, let's look at the goods and services tax. In the good old days, before the Howard regime was able to push the GST onto the Australian public, and they supported it, right, the goods and services tax, if you were unemployed, if you're on disability support pension, if you're on old age pension, you did not pay Tax, unless you smoked or had a beer or put a bet on, they're different things. But you didn't pay tax. So if you didn't smoke, didn't drink, you didn't pay tax. But the GST, the goods and services tax, meant, means, not meant, means, but still there, that everybody who participates in society at any level, that means whether you eat, sleep or shit, you pay a tax whether you're on a disability support pension, whether you're on a uh, uh, old age pension, single parents pension, the list goes on and on. Support. You pay the GST. Now, obviously, if you're getting, say, $840, $850 a fortnight as your old age pension or 1100 a fortnight as a disability support pension, 10% of that going in GST although, you know, food is excluded, 10% or 5% is not a good look, okay? Not nice. Now, it's been suggested because of the billions of dollars that have been been pumped out to assist people with assets in this country during the COVID-19 pandemic that they need to be paid back, all right? So what... Did the bright boys and girls think about, well, let's increase the goods and services tax. Let's increase the burden on that section of the population which has been hit hardest by COVID-19 so that we can pay, you know, the 13 or 60 million, billion, sorry, billion, I get confused, billion dollars which has gone to the corporate sector as a gift or an electoral bribe to the corporate sector by the federal government in terms of JobKeeper rebates. I can imagine if... I remember once, must have been years ago, I, I got a letter from Medicare saying I owed them $24.95 or something like that. Uh, and they were after it. Obviously, I paid it. But the thing is, they'd overpaid me by $24.95 and they were adamant they wanted it back. Now, maybe if I was overpaid $13 billion, nobody would want it back. Good on you, Harvey Norman. Pathetic. There are some pathetic things in the world. As I said, as I said, this program gets better and better. I don't need a scriptwriter. I don't need a comedian. 
what's happening in Australian society is a comedy festival. Not a nice one, but a pathetic one. Now, we've had our wonderful, whatever he's called, Foreign Minister, Home Affairs Minister, I can't remember what he's called, Mr Peter Dutton, you know, Peter Dutton of Queensland fame, and Maurice Payne, travelling the world, shoring up alliances to fight the good fight against the Chinese government. Now, obviously, we are seeing Australia voluntarily, as we did in Vietnam, as we did in Afghanistan, as we did in Iraq, jumping into a fight that has nothing to do with us. Voluntarily. And a little chat in Indonesia, and the Indonesian said, piss off, we're not interested in your alliance. We have good relations with China. Then they flew across to Japan, which has always had an anti-Chinese position, and then to South Korea, where, guess what? A pact was made to get more South Korean armed participation on Australian soil in case of that you know, war that's coming up. And then they'll go to the United States, Mr uh, Morrison and Biden and Meandra Gandhi, whatever his name is, you know, the Japanese Prime Minister, whoever that's going to be, we don't know at the minute, they're going to have a quad, quadrilateral conference. And this is the new coalition of the willing. Australia. Yay, we're great. India. The United States and Japan. And we will be fighting the good fight. We'll see more United States troops pour into Northern Australia. We'll be seeing more sabre-rattling, more military exercises, increased military funding, more anti-Chinese hysteria. It'll be wonderful. It'll be wonderful until the shit hits the fan. But what was the most pathetic aspect? This is as if Dutton and Payne think they are important. These two little miniatures think that on the world stage they are important. Guess what they didn't do? Guess what? They didn't fly over Chinese airspace because they were frightened their jet would be forced to land in China. Could you imagine? Why would the Chinese bother to create international incident by forcing them to land in China? Or maybe they thought they were going to be shot out of the sky. Hmm? What a pathetic bunch of people. And when I look at the ministry, I think to myself, what a, bad, what a pathetic bunch. And then I think, well, it's our fault. We've allowed this to occur. Electoral infanticide. That's what we have, electoral infanticide. I notice that the Alternative Liberal Party, masquerading as the Australian Labor Party, has now joined forces with the Liberal National Party to pass the Registered Party's Integrity Bill, which is designed to destroy any electoral opposition at the next federal election 
by increasing the membership numbers from 500 to 1500 before a party can register. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Electoral infanticide. And they're going to get away with it because the major political parties don't want you to vote for a minor or small political party of the Australian Greens. They want to keep it all to themselves, keep the cake to themselves, so that they can honour, worship at the feet of their corporate mates. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. If you'd like to look at my web pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Yes, I have a YouTube channel. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? You can uh, listen to Radical Australia on, well, freecr.org.au, the list goes on and on. You can write to us. Yes, I do answer letters. There were two letters in the post office box today. I was shocked. Uh, post office box 20. Parkville 3052 you can leave messages there's no point telephoning if you don't leave a message I don't pick up the phone I have tons of calls and most of them are you can just ignore but some you can if you leave a message you won't be ignored 0439 395 489 0439 395 489 and if you want to make a difference you want to be involved with people with a different mindset well, then I encourage you, strongly encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. Go to the website, pibci.net, download the application form. If you can't do that, leave a message on 0439 395 489 or write for some application forms, write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming on 3cr.org.au. And guess what? If the drug dealer next door needs a cup of sugar for his meth lab and he knocked on your door and you missed some of this exciting program, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Go to Anarchist World this week. And hey, presto, you and me, we're a, we're a team. That's right. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And remember, listening achieves nothing. It helps to change ideas. But in order to get change, you need to be active, whether it's at a personal level, community level, state level, national level, international level. Activism, I hate to use that word, is the key. Thank you once again. Felicity of the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.